Welcome to episode number 54 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have David Gertler, who is the CEO and co-founder of Treble, which empowers you to efficiently engage, grow, and most importantly, leverage your network to generate new business opportunities and advance your career. You can find it at treblenetwork.com. We discuss how David launched and grew the company, his mission and vision for the company moving forward, and how it's changing the world of networking. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And if you head over to Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe and leave a rating and review. Please do so. It really helps more people find the show. Just Go Grind is also found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. And the recently launched Just Go Grind Facebook community, you can find at facebook.com slash groups slash justgogrind. Or just head over to justgrogrind.com slash podcast and you'll find the link there as well. Without further ado, here is David Gertler, the CEO and co-founder of Treble. David, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Justin. Happy to have you on here. And always, there's so many questions I want to ask. I heard about your business at Startup Grind when I talked to Tim and I was curious because obviously I'm doing so much networking and meeting so many people. And what I'm curious of with Treble, first off, is how did this thing get started? Yeah, it's kind of a funny story. My business partner, Eric Orlinsky, and I had kind of met each other briefly over the years and kind of connected up here and there. And then after a successful exit that I had at a company where he was one of the attorneys that represented us, we had lunch. And he shared with me over lunch his frustration and his vision for an app. He said, hey, you know, he's an attorney. He does a lot of business development, but there's nothing out there really for business development and business networking, right? Most people think of business networking synonymous with LinkedIn, but the problem really is that it's more of an advertising platform. People self-promote, there's lots of noise and, and you know, connecting to the whole world. But his philosophy, which just resonated with me, is like networking is building and leveraging professional relationships for mutual advantage, right? It's people helping each other. So it's not advertising, it's not throwing 100 business cards out. It's like, how do you build an altruistic business networking philosophy into an app? And then that lunch spawned treble and that, that's where we are. Yeah. And with them, um, I'm curious as to why you went the route of an app. Because you I mean you could have just started creating, I guess you could have created some content on how to network more effectively. I guess you felt that you had to have control of the platform to encourage people to network in a certain way. Or like what did that go? How was that process for that? Yeah. So it's very funny, right? I was a, a bit of a math prodigy as a kid. And when I had to network, and my background was more networking for career purposes, finding the next job. And Eric's background was more networking to find new clients for his legal practice. For me, I just had a great memory. So I would meet people and talk to them. And it's like, oh, I know this person, this person. And the light bulb went off for me one day where I met a person like on a Tuesday morning. And then by Thursday afternoon, I met another person and I started making these connections. It's like, oh, you should talk to so-and-so, you should talk. And I just started building these. And I could remember all these people. I had the ability to remember hundreds and hundreds of people, where I met them, what their backgrounds were, what they were interested in. But most people can't do that. <laughs> I take notes, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, you know, not everybody can keep track of it. So why don't we have something that allows people to do it effectively? Because what we learned, we did a lot of market research. What we learned is people either put it on the back of business cards and they sit in a drawer use an Excel spreadsheet, you know, do something in contact. You know, everybody has these little ad hoc systems and they're not very effective. And we said, 
we've learned, you know, Eric and myself have learned so much about networking because I was an introverted math geek, believe it or not. And we've learned so much about networking. We can take all that knowledge and write a book or we can actually create a platform because we're really secretly trying to change the world, right? It's like, how do we create a movement that inspires people to take the first step to help others first, which is why we love Startup Ride, right? Help others, you know, give rather than take, right? Again, inspired a little bit by Adam Grant as well. And so the platform, you know, the, the mobile platform, the desktop just seemed to be a, a perfect environment for us to try to change, you know, put a dent in the world to steal from it. Yeah. And one of the things I just can't gloss over because I think it's one of the most important things in starting a business is that research initially you did. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that research looked like for you? Yeah, sure. So, you know, each of us had our own experiences. And again, Eric came from business development world, you know, hey, I had to work clients and the way he generates a lot of business is he makes, you know, referrals. One of his clients is looking for a good accountant. So he introduces them to this person, another person looking for a good marketing firm, he introduces that. So he had a lot of anecdotal personal experience. And I came more from that career side. I, I always help people find new jobs. I mentor a lot of people. I help them learn how to network, you know, and go through my experiences there. But when we decided to take this on seriously, we realized that we have to go out and conduct some research. So we met with tons of people and asked questions directly. And then we hired a third-party independent marketing firm to say, all right, we need to really validate the market, do some surveys, do some analyses, look at what's out there. So we did a formal after we had done our informal, and that gave us the confidence to say, yes, there really is a market for what we're trying to develop. Yeah. And with the market survey, I mean, like how many results, how many people are you getting in that data-wise? I'm curious. Oh, for the market research? Yeah. Uh, we did, I think it was probably two rounds, like for the intense talking to people, interviewing, et cetera, it was probably only worth like 60 to 70 in okay. that range. And then for the more like survey, I think the company that we hired independent random kind of survey in our target demographic for like 300. Awesome. So what kind of numbers that we're looking at? Yeah. And I'm curious too, like uh, what were some of those initial like commonalities you were seeing from that data? Yeah. So it was really kind of funny. The joke is my business partner, Eric, and I am David. And so when we looked at it and we did just an average, the average business development career person is 39 years old and they do this, 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 right? You know, so just a single average. And we call that person Derek. <laughs> then once we started doing some more analytics and we drilled down, we realized there's actually a number of different niches, right? There are some people who are more on the sales side, some people who are more on that business development side, and then a larger cluster who are neither sales or business development, but are career oriented. And one of the more interesting thing was one of the uh, we found that there were 12 reasons why people network, right? Number one and number two were looking for new business clients, customers, deals, contracts. Number two is looking for jobs, you know, mentoring and things. But then we kind of drilled down and we found these are the reasons that you go to the networking events, that you participate in the alumni associations, that you belong to a chamber of commerce or a tech council or a business networking group. And those 12 things became our core focus. And that's part of the, part of what you'll find in the app as well. Yeah. And knowing that you have these 12 kind of core competencies, these 12 things you look for, like, how did you map out the vision for what this product was going to look like from that data? Because it's not that simple of like, okay, well, now what? Like, I'm just curious on what are you, your process for that even? Yeah. So we had, like most startups, we had 
good ideas, bad ideas, visions, false starts, etc. We start with the simple premise of how do we build the simplest, fastest, most convenient way to track and manage all of your connections. And that took a lot of our initial focus, getting that right to a couple of iterations for us. But now we think we have the fastest, easiest, most powerful way to make and receive introductions and referrals and track all of that, right? Because if you're a business development, it's as we head down that path, we started thinking about other things that might relate. So one of my absolutely true story, I was at a networking event several years ago. And during the introductions, you were given a small amount of time, like I think it was 30 seconds or a minute or whatever, to answer three questions. And one of the questions was, what do you need? And that kind of struck me. Like, what do you need? Got to me, I was chief operating officer of a software company. I was you know, rather successful. I didn't really need anything. But I happened to blurt out that oh, my daughter is a freshman at Virginia Tech studying electrical engineering, and next summer she's going to look for an internship. So if you know anything, six people came up to me after introductions and said, hey, David, you know, I'm hiring. I know somebody. Get me daughter's resume. You know, And it was like, holy cow. One of the most fascinating observations was like, one, had I not... And she landed an amazing internship within like two or three weeks. Had I not thought to ask, never would have happened. And two, in networking environments, it's like, I'll walk up to somebody and, and typically, you know, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm successful this. And, you know, you kind of puff out your chest and you talk to people, but you never really get the opportunity to scratch all the surfaces because chances are at any given function, no matter what you're looking for, there's probably somebody in the room who can help you and vice versa. There's somebody in the room that you can help. You just have to figure out how do you expose those opportunities? How do you codify that kind of serendipity? And so that became in my mind like something absolutely unique and we call it a wish engine. And so we built in and that wasn't on the drawing board from day one. But once we started realizing that, hey, referrals and introductions are great, but here's a hidden gem that we can tap into people's hidden needs in a business development, you know, professional environment, not a dating center, help you unlock these things. And we've had so many great successes from that. And so when we look at the origin of the product, it's like, you know, first you start with this and then you kind of modify that and say, yo, you know what would be great? Let's add this. So it's been a lot of ups and downs, but it's mostly from our personal experiences that we say, boy, this, I think this works. Right. And I want to definitely dig into more of the product in a bit, but what I also want to know is with the team, so your co-founder, Eric, with this project, so what was the original agreement on how are you going to start this company together? Do you have formal like documents written up like, oh, we're 50-50 partners in this? Like, How did that team aspect go? Yeah. Did I mention Eric's a lawyer? You did. You did. So I assume. <laughs> Lots of documents. Um, no, he's done an amazing job. right? So one of the funny things is we have a third founder as well who's an accountant. And so my joke is like, hey, if you ever were going to start a software company, I've been in software pretty much my whole career, like 30-something years. If you're ever going to start a software company, what would be the two most valuable skills that you'd want to have? Oh, a lawyer and accountant, of course. We're very fortunate that we started with a lawyer, accountant, and a software guy like me, right? A software exec. And so we built upon that foundation. You know, every startup has their own unique starting point. Ours was lawyer, accountant, and software guy. And so we just kind of built upon that. And then, you know, we brainstormed, we raised some money. We then said, all right, we're at that point where we want to start spending some money to develop the product. And then we just started finding some additional people to bring to the team as we moved. That's awesome. And one of the things that is so difficult for founders is figuring out that either the equity split or especially with people have different commitments to the business. I'm curious on how you kind of approach that. Was it just an even partnership or how did you go about that? Yeah, that's a great question. 
we're probably very unusual in that the three founders, you know, Steve Ellis, Eric Orlinsky, and myself, Eric's got a full-time job as an attorney for a very successful national law firm called Saul Ewing. Steve is a very successful accountant and chief financial officer in his own right, and he does M&A analysis. Each of them have their own full-time jobs. And so I had just finished, I had exited from a company called Social Solutions as chief operating officer, a very successful exit. And I said, hey, I'm passionate. I'm ready to throw myself into it 100%. And they said, hey, we can't really leave our jobs, but we can do. So it's a very unusual structure for us in that two of the three founders are non-operational. They are on the board of directors. They work closely with me in a lot of different factors. Obviously, all strategic, but a few that are more tactical. I bounce a lot of things off these guys, but I run it day to day. And you know, I, I won't share with you the specifics of the split, but nevertheless, they have a large stake in it, and I have a large stake in it. And somehow, it all really works. And that's really kind of unusual and amazing because we all have thirty years in business, and there's really no territorialism. There's a lot of cooperation. They fully respect my authority to run and make all decisions as needed on a day-to-day basis. And yet every week we do a sync up. And even though they're not hands-on, Eric, for example, has spent tons of hours on product design. And you know, sometimes we have very early morning calls with our software development company. So he's really rolled up his sleeves on so many things and Steve as well. So it really has kind of worked and, and it's just a lot of fun to be in that kind of great environment. Yeah, and the team is everything, obviously, right? Especially early on, like the team is absolutely everything. So it's great that you found that mix. And you mentioned fundraising. Was that a like family and friends round? Was that angel investors? Curious on that aspect of it as well. Yeah. So, um, so ironically enough, right? Eric is a tremendous networker, and I've got a pretty good network myself. So we really started with friends, family, business associates, and we've been very fortunate. We've raised over a million dollars just on that alone. And so we're now at a point where we're getting ready for our Series A, and we're just starting to touch the waters and uh, tap the waters and talk to different people, different VCs that we think might be interested in, in our thesis. But the initial was just, hey, we know a ton of people, and let's tell them what we're up to. And you know, we started getting a bunch of checks, which was just a great way to go. That's awesome. Yeah, congrats on that. And yeah, Series A, hope it goes well for you. And, and one thing is too with that, I'm curious from like the idea until you started raising funding. Like, At what point were you at when you're like, okay, now we need fundraising? I'm curious on that as well. Yeah. So we made some mistakes. So I'll be candid on this stuff, right? Because, you know, boy, who knew, right? So early on, we started working on blind pieces of paper and whiteboards and then, you know, moved over PowerPoint and all that stuff. And when we felt we were at a point where we could put together a really nice pitch deck, we said, hey, let's go out and raise money. And one of the mistakes that we made was we got commitments from people early. And instead of saying, hey, great, let's have the money now, we said, all right, we'll be back in touch once we get to X. And I think it was like 500K or whatever the target was at the time. And then a couple months go by and, oh, great, now we've lined up all these people who've given us soft verbal commitments. And we started going back to get checks and life got in the way. And you know, some of the people bought cars or houses or had other commitments. And suddenly the 500K of, of Verbal commitment was more like you know 250k of, of commitment, right? And so it's like, boy. And somebody told us, as soon as an investor tells you that they are interested and excited, you get the check right then and there. And that was great advice for everybody, right? Just get the check. You don't have to spend it. You can put it in a bank. You can tell them, all right, 
I won't do anything until I get to 500, but get the check. So we made that mistake. So it took us a lot longer than we probably should have. We had to then go back and say, oh boy, we have to go get the rest of that fund. Uh, so that was a, a mistake that we made, but uh, we learned from that. Yeah. And obviously, as an, any entrepreneur is going to make a ton of mistakes. I mean, that's inevitable. That's the, the, the world you operate in, but you learn from that, hopefully, and you move forward. And you mentioned like different revenue numbers and stuff with the platform, but I'm curious with the like, initial users, members, how did you approach obtaining them for the platform? Yeah, so we haven't done any real advertising to date. So we've used the free stuff, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, things like that. But we haven't spent any money and we're about to. We're working on a really, really, I think, a really fun marketing campaign. So it's all been word of mouth. One of our secret sauces is not only is Treble valuable for individuals, it's also great for business networking organizations. So when we go to a chamber of commerce, tech council, a startup run, and we say, hey, you're about building community. And you typically talk to your members about you're here to network, to find customers. You're also here to hear guest speakers and participate in conferences. But realistically, a very high percentage of people, their reason for attending these networking events is looking for their clients or looking for a next client, looking for a new job, etc. Our platform makes it easy to do that, not only for the individual, but the organization. We collect statistics for the org to then turn around to their members and potential members with all kinds of analytics and say, and we balance privacy, right? So there's absolute privacy. We don't sell or steal or share data with anybody else. It's your data. It's very Apple in that, God, in that regard. But what we do is we tell the organization, you get an aggregated view that you can show your members and potential members, this is the value of attending our events. This is the value of being one of our members. So instead of saying, last year we had you know eight events and 250 people showed up, you can say, last year there were... 475 introductions made and $2.6 million worth of business that was transacted and you know, 48 different referrals that occurred and you know, 16 mentorships and 32 jobs and you know, 14 internships and you know, all that. So we quantify the value for the organizations and that's kind of our secret go-to-market strategy or not so secret now is going to those organizations and explaining what Treble can do, not only for the individuals, but for the organization. That then brings us dozens or hundreds or thousands, like we're targeting alumni associations now, right? We can get hundreds of thousands of people onto the platform with that. So we're really excited. That's kind of our go-to-market strategy. Yeah, that's exciting. And that's it's something where, yeah, you mentioned you didn't do paid acquisition first, did all the organic route, especially if you have so many connections already and trying to you know, stay lean and save money as well. And now you can put fuel in the fire, I guess, as you could say, and to accelerate the growth, it seems like. So in addition to them, I'd be remiss if I didn't you know, shout out some of the other folks that are, that are working. We've had... I was going to ask, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, cool. You know, just, we've had amazing interns. Amazing, right? I'm a big fan of paying high school kids and college students to come on board and unleash. So it's not get coffee or fill out this form. It's explaining our strategies to them, our product, you know, what can you do for us? So we've had amazing and ironically enough, every single one of our interns lands full time jobs. And then we're still not series A, so I can't hire them, but I'm really proud. You know, so I got a bunch of interns. And then I've been very fortunate in my career to work with some amazing people. And I'm not that classic like twenty year old entrepreneur. I've had thirty years, so I have a really great network of amazing people like Lauren Kaplowitz and Tim Cashman and Molly Baldwin Abbott. So I'm able to pick and choose across the spectrum from people that I've known and worked with to come work for me, and that 
just makes it a joy. So it's, it's not just the David show. We've got some really great people that are working on this. Uh, some have come and gone, you know, they're advisors, they come for a short amount of time. Uh, but I've been able to tap into just remarkable talent. Yeah. And talk a little bit more about that, that internship program. How soon into the company did you do that? And what was your approach to actually land this and organize that getting help from like interns? Almost instantly, you know, I'm a big fan of internship for a number of reasons, right? And we actually pay really well. First, you get tremendous spirit. The young people, you know, high school, college, they want to learn, they want to plug in, they want to contribute. You know, you can really find such amazing talent. And yet at the same time, they don't yet have the right skills. So they don't have any skills, right? But, you know, if you give them guidance and you share with them, a lot of inside, you know, this is what we're trying to accomplish and this is where we go and you ask their opinions and you just engage them and the enthusiasm and excitement, it's just an amazing win all the way around. So it was after we got the product, uh, like internal beta, I think that's when it was, right? So before we went live, about six months before we went live, we had a beta and I hired a couple of college interns to do testing for us. And not only did they do testing, but we had them think about you know new algorithms for our AI system. I actually gave them a challenge. I, I you know it just they were intimately involved in that. Some of them moved on to like some of our data analytics and looked at you know once we went live, you know some of the user data things. And uh, one young gentleman came up with a really great statistic that we use internally. It's called generosity ratio, right? So we will look at people our users, and we say, what's their generosity ratio, which is the number of times, basically the ratio of how much they've given to how much they've received. You know, so it's like, hey, Russell, that's really great. I love that. You know, so we really love the idea of having interns to come on. They can get exposed to what we're doing. They can learn things. They can develop skills, and they contribute so much. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, and, and now actually, I'm curious about the details more. So is it like you've done summer internships, spring, fall internships, full year? Like, How does that... Flexible? How does that work? Flexible. We keep them as long as we can. Some have wanted just for summer, and that's great. But the ones that... Uh, pretty much, you know, other than like, we've had a few graduate college, and then they find full-time jobs. And right now, we afford to bring them on board full-time. But we... The, these two particular ones that we have with us right now, they were high school students high school seniors when we got them several months ago, almost a year ago. And then they worked through the summer. And I said to them, you know, hey, freshman year in college is super important. You know, I don't want to take up your bandwidth. You should be out meeting people and having fun and joining clubs and all that kind of stuff. And they said, yeah, but we still want to continue. So so my best, you know, pushback on them, they actually are still with me. That's awesome. It is. So they, they worked all fall. Uh, and I told them, look, if you have exams, whatever, you just tell me your schedule. We'll work some of the workload around your, you know, the, we'll task around your, your testing and your Thanksgivings and all that kind of stuff. And they're still working with us now. That's awesome. And is just to get an idea of like workload, I mean, we're talking like five hours, 10 hours a week. I have no idea what. Yeah, it's, it's varied. <laughs> yeah. So these guys, you know, obviously when we're about to do a release and we've got a lot of testing to do, there's a ton of that. In between those releases, they might be working on special projects uh, like, you know, compiling a list of VCs or looking at target, you know, demographic numbers or doing some analytics on the background. And again, I'm very respectful if they're high school kids and college students, you know, how much time can they have? So we usually tell them five hours, 10 hours, and sometimes you know, per week. And sometimes it's more, sometimes it's been less. But we try to be really, really respectful because, you know, for one or two of them, I know their parents, you know, over the years. And it's like if they have a problem in college, I know I'm getting beat up. So 
you know, I told them, look, college comes first. You know, if you can squeeze in the work, that's great. So we just want them to have a good experience. And again, we get so much out of them. It's, it's just tremendous. That's awesome. And talk to a little bit more about the, the rest of the team today. What does that look like? I mean, like full-time versus part-time employees. I'm just kind of curious in the general kind of makeup of the team now. Sure. So I'm the only full-time person. I'm full-time dedicated. I don't need to draw salaries, so that makes it easy. Uh, I have some really, really great people that are working part-time for me right now. So... There's a woman named Lauren Kapowitz, and she's amazing. Uh, she's kind of a right arm. She'll do just about everything, and most of the time, she does it better than I do. So look, don't tell her that. No, she's, she's really awesome. She worked for me in a previous job as a product manager. And when I got things... And it's kind of an interesting story. My original thought was the very first person I need to hire needed to be a marketing person. I thought that was like the biggest weakness that I had. I had to find a marketing person. And I interviewed dozens and I know some as well, and I just couldn't find the right person. And one day, and this is after several weeks, one day I sit down, and I just start doodling, like, what is the one critical skill, talent, feature that I'm looking for in this person? And the one word that hit me was fearlessness. When I thought of fearlessness, I said, oh, Lauren, got to get Lauren on board. And she doesn't come, she doesn't have marketing experience. She has product management experience. But I said, you know what? The very first person I want to tap would be Lauren because I need somebody who's going to dive in, roll up their sleeves. You know, it's just me full time. I need that second arm. And even though I thought marketing was that priority, I went with her for the skill and that attitude and that, you know, I'll do anything and get it done and get it done really well. So she was like the very first person. And again, it kind of came out of the blue when I came up with the word fearlessness as that driver. Then we've had a few other folks that have done some work right now in, on the business development side. Right now, I have a wonderful guy named Tim Cashman. So he's just a joy to work with. He keeps me honest. He keeps me fresh. He keeps me sharp. He keeps me focused. And we go out. We have a lot of fun going out to sales calls, You know, different networking events. He'll do demos, talk to different clients, help structure deals, close deals. You know, He's really great. And the third person I have right now working part-time is Molly. Molly's my marketing person. So she focuses on um, helping us get PR, helping us with social media. She's been a lot of fun to work with as well. And over the year and a half, I've had a few other people that come on for just very specific purposes. I had somebody who worked for us just to help us do an evaluation of our hosting environment and somebody that focused on our product, you know, architecture, you know, that kind of come in, do some analysis for us, you know, and and move on. Uh, But that's really the the core team is, is just just the three of us. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier a little bit about the product, like the wish feature and what are some of those other aspects of the product as it looks like today? Sure. So as you look at the product, especially on the mobile, and we're going to be reworking the home screen, we have some really cool ideas for on our roadmap. But we broke it into three pieces. So the top is referrals and introductions, making it really easy and convenient to make referrals, give introductions and receive them, right? So it's super easy, a lot of templates, you know, because most of the time we want to meet somebody and they say, hey, David, can you recommend a good this? Or, you know, my daughter's looking for an internship or I'm looking for a mentor. It's like, can you recommend somebody? Oh, sure. And in the past, I would wait till I got home that night and then tap it out on the computer and it would always be like, you know, dear so-and-so, I just met with this person. It's like, why not template it? And then just customize it a little bit. So I have a template in there that I I love. I wrote, it's called, here's why. Dear Justin, I met with so-and-so today and I thought the two of you should connect. Here's why. And then I type in just the specifics of that particular, and then the rest of it's all boiled. You know, hey, follow up directly, talk to each other, let me know how it goes. So it's like, you know, that's a core piece of 
The Wish Engine I mentioned, you know, is is just this really unique. Everybody who learns about it and hears and starts playing with it, they love this because rather than playing this old game of Go Fish, I don't know if you're old enough to know that game or not. It's like, you know, hey, got any threes? Go fish, right? You know, hey, I'm looking for an intern. I'm looking for a mentor. I'm looking for a board appointment. I'm looking for a speaking engagement, right? Instead of asking everybody in your network, you can passively crowdsource from your trusted network, not some random stranger who just wants to connect with you on LinkedIn. But you can passively crowdsource from people that you know and trust. And if they come to you and say, hey, David, I noticed that you were looking for so-and-so. I know somebody. You know it's quality. So that's the wish engine. And then we have, you know, a thanking mechanism just to let people know, hey, really, you helped me. I just want to let you know that was so great. Whatever I can do to help you in return. Oh, yeah, here's my wish list. And you can take a look at that. We also have a couple other fun things that we built in. Tons of analytics. You know, I'm a math guy. So we put in tons of reports, different ways to cut and slice and dice the data. So you can look at who's helped you the most, what groups of people who've helped you, who owes you favors. You know, where do most of your referrals come from geographically or by industry or by title, etc.? We also put in an AI capability, a very rudimentary, but one of the coolest ones that I love, right? I wrote it, so I love it, is a wish match algorithm. So for, say, for example, I post a wish. I live in the Baltimore area. I'm looking to hire a software developer in the Baltimore area that knows C++. And Justin comes along and posts a wish. And he says, I'm looking for a new job in the Baltimore area, programming C++. The system's smart enough to say, David, you and Justin might have a potential wish match. You've got a role of he's got a brand new key. You guys should definitely talk. And that unlocks so much great value. And it's not a guarantee that it's going to be a perfect match, but it's like so much better than the algorithms that you see on social media, which is like, you should meet so-and-so because that person's son used to be the gardener for this person's daughter's family's uncle. And it's like, you know, that's, garbage. Our stuff really leads to really good networking results. So we have all that. And then we also tried to make it fun. And we're trying to, like I said earlier, kind of change the world. So we have a point system. And the more good you do, the more you help other people, the more points you get. So it's not about connecting to thousands of people. It's not about quantity of connections. It's about the quality of the relationships that you maintain and build. So as you help people, some people care about points, some people don't care about points, that's fine. But the mechanism's there. The more you help others, the more recognition that you deserve for being a good person. Yeah. And one of the things I'm curious about with all you've mentioned, so in terms of someone signing up, obviously it's all these things with networking and referrals and everything. Do they have to invite all their friends to the platform? Everyone has to be in the platform. Explain that whole acquisition thing in terms of suggesting someone and how that all works. Yeah, so we thought long and hard about that because obviously most social media sites have hundreds of millions or a number of people, right? And your network is, uh, and I'm talking you, know, you in general, right? Most business development or, or business professional network, probably a couple hundred people max that they really know and they have real relationships. You know, again, we're not about just connecting to the whole world, right? So it's not critical that millions of people are on a platform. All that really matters to each individual is that their top 20, 50, 100, 200 connections are on the platform. So we allow it, you to decide who do you want to connect with? Do you want to invite everybody in your address book, everybody that you're connected to on LinkedIn, everybody that you're connected to on Facebook, or do you just want to invite these 10 people or those 20 people because they're the ones that you really want to have this intimate business helping 
mutual benefit relationship with. So it's really up to the individual who they invite. We don't spam people. We don't sell data. We don't share data. So it's not, you know, hey, invite everybody so we can start spamming them. Like, you know, we treat your data as your data. And I come from a cybersecurity background. So we built in a fair number of checks and balances in there as well. But we don't sell data, share data. We don't monetize off you. We don't try to, you know, you can invite your entire address book. But, you know, we say, why would you want to do that? Right. And chances are your address book or your LinkedIn connections are. You know, our, we actually, part of our market research, we found on average, most business developers, most business professionals in our target market had over a third of their connections on LinkedIn that they had never, ever interacted with other than accepting the link. So if you're sitting with a third of these people that you don't have any real relationship with, you know, don't bother to report them. But once you do sign up for the platform, you can try it out. Um, you know, we have a free version, a premium version, an ultra version at different price points. And you can invite people to join so everybody can join for free. And you can invite a few people and say, Hey, I'm using Treble to make introductions and referrals. You can help me. I can also post all my business wishes. So if you see anything that you can help me with, here's my list and I'll be happy to reciprocate. And again, we push this whole philosophy that you give first, right? That instead of the usual, I walk up to somebody at a networking event that hand them a business card and I tell them what I do. If you say, "Hey, I'm David, how are you? You know, what do you do? You know, oh, that's interesting. And how can I help you? Are there specific things?" And by helping that person first, most of the time, if not all of the time, they say thank you, and that's usually followed with a, "Hey, what can I do for you in return?" And instead of the, "Oh, yeah, no problem. I'm happy to help." Right? That's cool. But you can also say, "Oh, you know, if you ever, if you, I've got a wish list out there. So look on Treble, find my wish list. And if there's anything there that you can help with, you know, I appreciate it." And with everything you're building, it is a business. So what is the business model and how has that evolved from initial to where you're at now? Oh, another great question. Another great opportunity to learn, right? So you know, math guy put together all kinds of models, you know, and, and uh, one day, hopefully, I'll look back on the very first mathematical model, financial model of how many users we would have in the first year versus the second year. And I'll laugh at the orders of magnitude that we all call, right? So... One day, yeah. Um, right now, it's it's too painful to look, right? But the original assumptions were just absolute wild, like shot in the dark. Like how many people? Well, you know, one person would invite X, and then uh, that person would invite Y. So we built all these sophisticated models, and they were just wild guesses. What we started realizing is, all right, you know, there's a natural progression, and we need to understand human behavior a little bit better. And at the same time we really weren't focused on business organizations like alumni groups and business networking groups and chambers of commerce and bar associations and all that, right? And now we are because going to those organizations will charge an annual fee depending upon their size, the number of members. And that gets us clumps of people as opposed to one-offs. So we really changed. The original concept from that first day was, you know, individuals, individuals will market you know, the heck out of it. Everybody will... It'll grow virally, you know, every entrepreneur's dream, right? It'll grow virally all by itself, without any or you know, completely organic, never have to spend a dime. That doesn't work. It didn't work for us. And then we realized, hey, there's another way. So now we have a sales component to it where we go out not one-on-one, but for these networking organizations. And that's been a much more consistent and successful strategy for us in terms of our revenue. Yeah. And that's funny because there are so many times 
and building a business, you hear about these stories, whether it be on a podcast or reading about in a book or whatever, and there's always a pivot at some point or something changes and you have to adjust. And that is, again, just kind of the nature of entrepreneurship. And you have to be able to adjust and adapt to opportunities that are out there. And yeah, it seems like you hit on something that could be a goldmine for you. So we'll hopefully... Thank you. You know, it's, it's funny because, you know, unlike an established business where it's kind of run rate and, you know, you're squeezing out a 10% improvement here or there or 15%, you know, whatever. When you're, when you're doing a, a blank piece of paper, and that's how I view Treble, right? It was literally blank pieces of paper. Like, what are we going to do? There are so many wild assumptions that you just don't know and you don't, you can't validate until you're there. And somebody had asked me, uh, one of the investors, like, you know, how will you know? What's critical mass? And I said to them, it's like, I don't know how I'll know until I'll know. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's too early to speculate. And we had one investor who said, David, you know, it's all about tipping points. It's like everything is linear until suddenly it's not. You know, that was his comment. And right? it's like, yeah, you're right. You know, it's like you're growing by, you know, twos and fives and tens, and all of a sudden it's 10,000. You know, like, wow, when did that happen? So, you know, you just have to be patient and diligent and accept, you know, it, it's a wild roller coaster, ups and downs, and you never know what you're going to have. But as long as you kind of keep the eye on the overall direction, you can still pivot, yet stay true to what your vision is. Yeah. And obviously, we're recording now in March 2019. So when did you start the company initially? Uh, so, boy, late 16, we started really fundraising. Uh, 17, we started working on product and then 18, we launched. And so it's been a couple of years, but uh, one day I'll have to write down the exact date. Yeah, I want to know that because it, it's been a couple of years and I'm curious as you know, looking back, what have been some of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome so far in this journey? Yeah, that's a good one. I'd say we've definitely made some mistakes on product. We underestimated like how much time and effort we should spend. Oh, yeah. On, right. So, you know, it's a classic. Do you want to spend... 18 months designing and then maybe the market shifted on you or you've run out of money or you only want to spend two months on design and then just get something out there and tweak it and play with it. And so, you know, for us, I think if I were to do it over again, you know, one of the things I, I would consider is maybe we should have spent a little bit more time upfront on the design. We kind of, you know, came up with some concepts. Let's build it. Let's, you know, our mantra was like, we're not going to know until it's in people's hands. We really don't. And there's some really validity to it, right? But maybe if we spent a little bit more time thinking through some of the features functions and some of the design and, and all that, maybe that would have saved us a little bit. So one of the challenges is when you're working on such a shoestring budget, you know, and we've got limited resources, limited money, and you just feel like the clock is ticking, you've got to move. It's like you tend to, I think the bias, at least for me, was, you know, just try it, just try it, experiment, experiment, let's try and maybe a little bit more patience there. So just having, maybe it's a good thing that I've always felt like the clock is ticking, clock is ticking, got to move, got to move. But it would have been nice to have a little bit more funding, a little bit more talent, and maybe a little bit more time to be a little bit more thoughtful and less, let's see what happens and we'll fix it later. You know, That's a tough mix though, right? I mean, you know, taking action, doing things, try it, test it, which is, you know, obviously what you hear so much, especially with the lean startup, that whole mentality. It's like versus patience and, you know, how patient can you really be? It's a tough mix, I imagine. Like, how do you decide even on these decisions looking back? How have you decided what to do? I guess I'm curious about that too. Yeah, I think, again, my bias is probably more toward let's try it and let's see what happens. And, you know, most things look good in PowerPoint, right? Or, or actually, it's like, oh, it looks good, looks good. And it's not until the developers are working on it 
that they start asking questions like, oh, what happens when the user clicks here? Or, you know, where do you want the person to fall after they go through this path? It's like, oh, I really thought about that, right? So that's kind of the first checkpoint. Like when you're in the development process and we're working very closely with our development uh, partner on this, and they start asking really thoughtful questions and pushing back, like, well, wouldn't it make more sense if you did it this way instead of that way? You know, and then, oh, what about the architecture and the scalability? So you know, that's kind of like one of the checkpoints. Then it's getting into people's hands and seeing them use it. And, you know, what do they like about it? What do they not like about it? And are they actually using this feature or are they not? You know, I, some of the features I can easily admit, yeah, I thought they were really amazing. Yet people aren't really touching it. They don't know about it. Maybe it's just too new. Maybe they're in the wrong place. So, you know, for me, I'm still biased toward let's try and then see what happens and then use that feedback to come back. So I'm always more of that, you know, try it and see it rather than try to do an amazing plan and then know that it's going to absolutely, you know, be successful or not. Right. And I think a bias towards action tends to be the better thing, especially early on in the business. It just seems like a lot of people are stuck and stunned and they can't do anything because they don't take enough action because all they do is plan. So it's gotten you this far. So it's obviously had to be something that's worthwhile. One of the things I want to ask about was just, you mentioned the developer team and I have to ask about that. How did you find developers? Because it can be such a tricky thing. Oh, you know, also funny story. We were heading down the path of doing hiring a company. And we had gotten bids from three different software development companies. And I was mulling over the three different bids when literally at the last second, there was another company that we were introduced to. They're called Kiwi Tech, and they're wonderful folks. Indian offshore software development company. And they actually came to us through networking and they were looking for funds for their private equity. They have a, a private equity arm. And when we met with them, we said, well, actually, we're less interested in that, but we're looking for software development. They made us a proposal. It was a tremendous proposal, really loved what they were about. And I met with their CEO, their COO, uh, their chief, I think he calls himself the chief startup officer, Mosin. He's an awesome guy. And um, there was just something that clicked. And it's like, these guys are really great. And they made us a really attractive offer. And I said, you know, I just have a gut feel with these guys. And we've been with them just over two years, maybe two and a half now. Uh, they've been a great partner. I mean, just absolutely great partner. And we've had a few offers, you know, to go with a different uh, software company or whatever. But I'm very loyal to these folks. And, and they've been really great for us. So uh, it's Kiwi Tech, And they're just wonderful folks. And they stand behind everything they do. And Every time I have any kind of issue, I can call up anybody from the development team to the CEO, and I run into them periodically, and you know, they're always responsive and, and just great. So I've been very, very fortunate to find the right partner. Just it was more luck than anything else. <laughs> well, yeah, that, I mean, that's yeah, such you know, a I think that that was networking. That's what networking. That networking. You know, that's exactly. Networking. And you said you had three other offers, though. Where did those come from? How did you find those companies? I know a lot of people are curious about like finding a tech team to build stuff. Obviously, what was your approach for that? Ultimately, you know, I've spent, again, it's one of the assets, you know, everybody brings different assets to the table when you're a startup. And, you know, uh, I would just tongue in cheek say, you know, when you're young, you bring youth, enthusiasm and stupidity. And those are all good assets to have when you're doing a startup, right? When you're old like me, you know, you have a lot of experience. One of the things that I brought was just a pretty large network. So I've worked in tech for 30 something years. I know tons of people. So I was able to tap into people and then say, hey, do you know somebody? And so I was able to network like crazy to find just really great people. So that was just a, an advantage that I had. That's awesome. And as you've gone through your, your entrepreneurial journey here, I'm curious as to what 
resources, whether it be podcasts, books, audio books, conferences, you know, mastermind groups, what's been helpful for you in this journey? Yeah, you know, I don't do as much formal anymore. You know, years ago, I participated in tons of different organizations and read voraciously, etc. I read a little bit less now to be quite honest. For me, one of the excitements is we go to tons of networking events as a vendor or as a potential member or as a sales, whatever. And years ago, I would attend the events for you know my career or to meet different people, etc. And now I'm going more for market research, right? I'm talking to people, I'm getting to ask them questions like, you know, not the usual networking, oh, where do you work and what do you do and all that. I'm asking questions like, well, how often do you you know go to networking events and what are your favorite networking events or what do you like to do at networking events? And do you hand out business cards? Do you ask people, you know, do you, do you try to meet everybody in the room or just spend your time with one person or, you know, what's the next? So I'm asking more market research in vivo, right? In the actual environment I'm spending on. And that's been really, really great because, you know, I've read tons of business books and I went to work for MBA and I still read, you know, periodically, you know, different books, but I find the best use of my time now in terms of education, because I'm a lifelong learner, is in those environments, meeting the people and asking them kind of the, the meta question. Yeah, I think that's that's a great way to learn, obviously, because there's so many smart people around, especially if you're attending these different events and you, you know what to ask and you know what you're looking for. And it seems like it's such a beneficial uh, thing for you, especially for the company moving forward. You mentioned the time a little bit too. I'm curious about how you manage your time day to day while working in this company. Yeah, so you know, luckily there are 26 hours in a day, and you know you don't need sleep. So uh, the ability to just work 26 hours straight each day, you know, seven days a week, you know, and I'm almost caught up. So it really is a challenge. And one of the you know, any advice I would give to like any potential because I really wasn't a classic entrepreneur, right? People, I've been introduced many times. Oh, he's a serial entrepreneur. No, I'm not. I've worked for a lot of different organizations. Most of them have been either big software companies, you know, Fortune 500s or you know, medium software companies or government agencies. This is the first real startup, right? And you know, for me, the biggest difference between the big environments that I've worked in and this is you have to be so prudent and tight with your time and your money because you have so little of each. There's so much to do and so little time and so little people to do it that it really, really forces me to be laser focused. What is it that I have to get done? Because there's a thousand things that are on that are screaming for my attention every single day. And I just sit there and go, all right, what has to get done today or we don't get to tomorrow? Uh, so you know, really, really prioritize. And that's one of the, the critical aspects of, of how I spend my time. It's like, what do I need to get done? Okay, let me focus on getting those things. What can I delegate to some of these other great people that are working with me? How do we coordinate? You know, great ideas, got to put them out on the back burner. I love this. I know this is going to change the world, but today I can't address that. I have to wait for later. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of years into this business, but you have tons of experience. I'm curious as to what advice you'd have for any aspiring entrepreneurs or like business owners just getting started, looking back. Any advice or parting words you leave with them? Yeah. Don't do it. So, um, <laughs> stop. Um, <laughs> yeah, stop. You know, don't. I've had a few people, what were you thinking? So, no, I love every day. I mean, every day I wake up energized, excited, like, you know, massive challenges. It's not for everybody. If you're at a point in your life where you need a steady paycheck and you just want, you know, uh, dependable, high certainty, comfortable, et cetera, this is not for you. Right. And if it had somebody, uh, one of my friends uh, gave another friend some advice, 
who was thinking about taking the plunge and going in. And he said, you need to be ready for the roller coaster of emotions, you know, massive highs and massive lows and lots of self-doubt. You need to be ready financially so that, you know, if you can't draw a paycheck for six months, what are you going to do? Do you end up holding up or whatever? You need to be ready to put stamps on the envelopes yourself and go to the mailbox yourself and, you know, uh, type up your own notes and, you know, all that stuff is yourself. It's all on you. So it's not for everybody. But if you have that passion and you have the ability to do it and you can leverage friends and family for some money or some really amazing, talented business friends or associates that you have, go for it because it is incredibly rewarding. And regardless of, you know, we're hoping that Treble is incredibly successful and it becomes the next great thing and everybody should join the platform, right? But even if it doesn't, I enjoy every single moment working with such amazing, talented, hardworking, dedicated, you know, great people uh, that I, I just enjoy. And, and for me, doing it this late in my career, right, you know, after 30 years, it's like, it's just perfect. It's just perfect for me. And people need any entrepreneur you know, make sure it's perfect. Make sure it's something that you just, you know, you get up in the morning screaming to get to work and just want to throw yourself into it uh, because there's so many obstacles and problems and challenges that will knock you down if you're not completely dedicated to it. Yeah, and I can sense your energy for it and I have listened to different podcasts with you on it as well. I can feel that energy and it is exciting to be building something. It's so exciting at any age and it's not for everyone by all means, but it is something that if you have that passion for it, go after it. Where can people find you online? All you're working on, find out about that. Where can they go? Yeah, sure. So treblenetwork.com, all one word, treblenetwork.com. And if you go to the app store, whether it's Google or, or iPhone, if you type in treble network, all one word, I think we're the only thing that pops up. Right. So if you just type in treble, you'll find music apps and things. If you type in treblenetwork.com or just treble network, you'll find us and you know download it for free. Uh, sign up for free. You can get started. You know, almost all the features and functions are available for free. Obviously, with a premium at thirty bucks a month and a ultra for fifty bucks a month that unlocks some additional capabilities. But give it a try. And what I like to say is, you know, join us in our. We're, we're trying to totally transform business networking and make the world a more altruistic environment. You know, where people give and help others and change the way people network. Awesome, David. Thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it, man. Justin, this was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, and I wish you the best. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a great day.